Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders coming off of Ohio State's fifth win of the season against Maryland, a 37 to 17 victory in which the Buckeyes covered the spread against Maryland, but certainly not as easily as we thought it might come. I I know that as we were sitting there watching that game on Saturday, I I thought we were going to have to come on the podcast and eat some crow this week because we were both quite confident that Ohio State would cover last week. We felt like uh, Maryland was going to prove not to be as good as its 5-0 and record indicated, but I, I think we got a cop to not giving Maryland enough credit because uh, I think Maryland played Ohio State very competitively. Ohio State did not take a lead in that game until late in the third quarter and was only able to cover because it scored the final 27 unanswered points of the game. So Ultimately, Ohio State did what it needed to do to take care of business, but there were some tense moments in that game. I mean, there were some absolutely times in that game where I felt like, you know, Ohio State really might lose this game. And so uh, the final score, while ultimately all that Ohio State needed, maybe not quite reflective of how that game actually went. No, I agree. The uh, The way that played out, it just... There were definitely moments where I, you know, I turned to people. I said, you know, Ohio State might lose today. It's a weird feeling against an unranked opponent to, to be saying that. But, you know, they turned it around in the second half. I think uh, we'll, we'll touch on it more later. But the slow starts are something the team really has to address because, you know, if they sleepwalk through a first half like that, when it comes time to play Penn State or Michigan, it's, it's going to cost them. And, uh, you know, definitely a lot of lessons to be learned. I thought team took another step forward in certain areas. I thought this is the first week where in certain key areas, they took a step back too. Um, so lots to work on as this brutal run through October and November continues for Ohio state. You mentioned taking a step back. So we probably shouldn't avoid the elephant in the room too long because I think what a lot of Ohio state fans and I think the coaches as well are, are, thinking about right now as a primary concern is uh, the performance of the offensive line and specifically the run game against Maryland as Ohio State averaged just 1.9 yards per carry versus the Terrapins. And, uh, you know, the offensive line, I I think when you're talking about areas in which they took a step back, I'm guessing that that is the first area that you have in mind. Because while the offensive line has been a concern all year. I I think it would be fair to say, all in all, I mean, I I don't think it was a great day of pass protection for the offensive line early, either, especially early in the game. I think you could easily say this was Ohio State's worst game of the season for its offensive line. I agree. And I had thought they'd gotten better week over week, just when you look at the level of competition they were playing, you look at the consistency of different things week to week before this, they'd gotten better and it felt like this was their worst game of the year. And five games into the year, that's cause for major, major concern. I thought most of the issues were running the ball. There just wasn't a push, wasn't a real win at the point of attack for Ohio State position to position. It was as much on an experienced guy, a guy we've expected to be an All-American coming into this year in Donovan Jackson as it was 
so one of the new starters like Carson Hensman or Josh Fire or Josh Simmons, at least from my perspective. And I, I think that, you know, the pass protection got better as the game went on. McCord got set, that sack early. Josh Fryer got straight up teed around the end on a play, but they he had time as the game progressed. And I think that's one of the reasons he was able to find a rhythm throwing the ball too in the second half as he started to get more time. Um, but there still wasn't like still wasn't all clean. You had that uh, play, I believe it was in the second half when Chip Trayanum he had to pitch it to him in desperation, and they lost eighteen yards. Uh, that was he came under pressure pretty quick on that play. But yeah, the run game in particular, boy, regardless of what they were doing, because they tried some stuff, gap stuff, straight up between the tackles. They tried their typical wide zone runs. A lot of different things. None of it seemed to work, and most of it seemed to stem from a lack of execution on the offensive line. And you can point to Maryland having more guys in the box. They did, as Ryan Day did, but there's still no excuse for less than two yards per carry at Ohio State. Yeah, and you know, I think certainly, you know, one thing that was pointed out on the game broadcast was the fact that Travion Henderson wasn't playing, and that that was certainly a factor. I think it was because. You know, Travion, we've talked about he's got that special explosiveness, that shiftiness. You know, he has that stuff at another level than the other running backs on the roster. And so I do think they missed Travion Henderson. There were certainly times in that game where I saw a run and I thought if they had Travion, I think maybe he popped something there, whereas Chip or Mayan just didn't. And that's not a knock on those because, I mean, I mean, Chip has great speed, but I don't think he quite has that same you know, burst off the line that Travion does. You know, Mayan, he's a powerful shifty back. We still didn't see him play that much, even without Travion in that game. It was mostly Chip. And I think Chip had a decent game, but I, I think that, you know, the combination of not having their most explosive back with an offensive line that, in my view, they, they just weren't getting any consistent kind of push in the run game in this game. You know, you're just, we're not seeing guys get to the second level in the run game the way we're accustomed to seeing from Ohio State's offensive line. And yeah, I think that's a mix of things. I think on one hand, it's the fact that Ohio State's top end talent on the offensive line this year is just not what it typically has been. I think, you know, but I think the guys who came in and replaced Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler just aren't as good of players as those guys were. And they, they, they could still potentially get there, but I think right now they are not the same caliber of players as the guys they replaced. So I think that is one thing that's certainly holding this offensive line back. Like you said, Bo, you know, a guy like Donovan Jackson, I think it's fair to say his play has clearly taken a step back from where it was last year when he was a first-year starter. So I think some of that has to do with the fact that he, you know, he's playing against Josh, he's playing alongside Josh Simmons and Carson Hinsman now, not Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler. And he's probably still getting acclimated to playing alongside those guys. But to some degree, it also just feels like some of this is just the entire line cohesively as a unit is just not working at the level it should right now. That they're that they just need to find some different answers, whether it be in scheme, whether it be in terms of execution. There's just certain things that are just not quite clicking for that unit right now. And I think 
you know, coming out of Ryan Day's press conference on Tuesday, I think probably the most interesting thing he said all day that, that struck me was when he was asked if he thought there was a gap between the starting five and the backup offensive lineman. Because despite the offensive line struggles, we've seen that starting five play basically all the snaps this year. With the exception of one or two drives at the end of a game against Western Kentucky, it's been all Josh Simmons, Donovan Jackson, Carson Hinsman, Matt Jones, Josh Fryer. They've been the starting five all year long. And Ryan Day was blunt in his response to that question. He said, I think there is. He said, I don't think any of those backups are pushing the door open enough for us to give them more snaps right now. And so, you know, it's, it's, there's always going to be that inclination of, you know, if the starters aren't performing well enough, well, why aren't the backups playing? And Ryan Day seemingly answered that question on Tuesday, that they're just not seeing enough from the backups in practice to think that they would do any better than the starters are doing. And so, uh, you know, first of all, that's an alarming indictment of Ohio State's depth of a position because it makes you wonder, okay, if they're struggling now, if anybody gets hurt, are they going to be struggling even worse based on what Ryan Day said on Tuesday? But secondly, it, it means they don't seem to have any designs on making changes to that starting five, which means if they're going to roll with that starting five, they have to figure out something so that that starting five performs better than it has so far. Right. You know, that's, that's one less solution that you have on the table is, hey, well, this, this group isn't working. Let's change up the group. I mean, it doesn't seem like they have that available to them, you know, other than you shuffle guys around. I don't, I don't really see how you could. There's always been the talk that Donovan Jackson could slide out to tackle, but you can't do that midseason. I don't feel like you, you're not going to switch a guy out to the end in the middle of a season. So you're kind of stuck with what you got right now up front. Um, like you said, it's a very big concern in terms of depth uh, when you talk about if a guy goes down and who's going to step in. Uh, we, we've seen on, you know, in various platforms, people calling that maybe Luke Montgomery should get a shot. Um, while I think Luke's going to be a great player one day, we've talked about this before on the podcast, there's always this urge to see the new shiny thing sometimes from a fan base. And really, it's just not the right time for Luke. I, he's, a fr he's a true freshman at football's most developmental position. Offensive line is the most developmental position in football. I think a lot of coaches will tell you that. And Luke has been up and down in this play. The opportunities he's got in Ohio State's Bison package or in substitutions. I, again, I, I, f I feel confident Luke's going to be a really good player for Ohio State one day, but he's not there yet. And so you've got to bank on Josh Fryer and try to get him to a place that's a little better. And you bring up a good point, too, with Donovan Jackson and the step back of the pieces that are around him. You know, not having Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler flanking him as he did last year. Combo blocks are a big thing on the offensive line, right? Helping around. It's why one of the reasons why it's the position group where chemistry is perhaps emphasized more than anywhere else because you have to work as a unit. And particularly in a zone scheme where it's more of a feel, a feel thing when you're combo blocking. And gap, it's often drawn up. You know, you 
say on this play, U2 combo, one goes to a backer. Well, in zone, guys are blocking a spot. They all step one direction. You're trying to put your hand on a guy. You're trying to help the person next to you and then flow to your spot to wherever a linebacker may be. Um, and so really that chemistry and that lack of punch, that lack of play alongside it, yeah, it's, it's dragging Donovan down a little bit, I think. And again, do I think it's impossible that they get there? No, but my confidence is dwindling every week, and I don't think it's ever been lower than it is right now that they are going to get where they need to be to have a championship-caliber offensive line. Every other position group on this team, I think they can get there, or even already are there in certain positions. But offensive line is, right now, for me, the biggest thing easily that can and will hold this team back if it's not addressed. Yeah, as you mentioned before, I mean, Penn State is one week away. Penn State right now leads the country in scoring defense. So uh, they're about to play a really good defense one week from now. And so uh, the, the search for answers is certainly reaching a critical juncture. And you mentioned it before uh, in, in terms of the slow starts we've just seen overall from the offense. It's been a recurring trend for this offense this year, and it certainly was again versus Maryland on Saturday as Ohio State did not score an offensive touchdown until the third quarter of the game. And we saw, you know, you know, once they got going there, they kind of looked like their old self again. But we, we haven't seen Ohio State be able to get to that explosive level quickly in games this year. We haven't seen them be able to do it on a consistent basis over the course of games. And you do have to wonder, you know, how long can they get away with that before it's going to catch up with them? I mean, it almost did against Notre Dame. So uh, we've already seen it almost catch up with, with Ohio state. And, and you got to think that, you know, at, at some point, you know, you know, the, the good news is they are showing that when the game's on the line in the fourth quarter, they can rise to the occasion and find a way to win. But at some point, you're going to find yourself in a hole that you're not going to be able to get out of if they, they continue to put themselves in those holes early in games. Yes. Uh, and like you said, it's going to come in a week against Penn State. And there's just... I don't, I don't know what the, what it is, right? Even against Western Kentucky, you look at that game and you say, well, you know, they had a big first half in the end, but it took them until the second quarter to get going. That big 35-point explosion. It's not, again, a situation where I don't think they're capable. They've shown they can be explosive. Even in that Notre Dame game, a game where they only scored 17 points, you look at what happened the final drive, some big plays, you look at Cravion's 61-yard touchdown run, and you look at what happened against Western Kentucky with a lot of explosives. There's this offense has shown in plenty of situations. It does have that ability, but one of the biggest things to get them there too, is again, the offensive line. If Kyle McCord doesn't have time to sit back there and find a guy downfield, it's hard to get those explosive plays. If Travion doesn't have room to do what he does best, cut an open space, find the whole cut back and burst, you're going to have less explosive plays. So both in terms of the explosion and the consistency, when you talk about staying ahead of the chains and sort of matriculating the ball down the field, to borrow a phrase, 
there's a lot that goes back on the offensive line and it really starts there always for an offense. And so that's the thing that for me, once and if they get it figured out, uh, the other pieces are there. When you talk about Travion, when you talk about still probably the best group of receivers in the country, Kyle McCord has had great performances and spots. Yeah, I, I think we are talking a lot of some negative takeaways from this game, Dan. I think we should get back to some positives because they did cover. They did win by 20 points. They did have a big second half. And I think kind of the biggest positive just in general is the continued showing of this defense that they are up to the task so far this year. Absolutely. They have been. And, you know, I, I come out of Saturday's game only feeling more confident in the defense because Maryland's a good offensive team. They have a a good quarterback, you know, they have, you know, plenty of weapons around him and Ohio state held them to 17 points. Again, kind of like we've seen in a couple games this year, they didn't start out great. They looked a little vulnerable early in the game. But, you know, when they needed, when the defense needed to bow up, it did. That's the thing we've seen consistently from this defense is when, when they need that defense to step up, they've consistently risen to the occasion this year. And I've been hesitant to say this, but I, I think five games in, I, I feel like I've got the evidence to say this, but I think Ohio State, has a defensive-driven team this year. It's not something we've seen before under Ryan Day. It's not something we've seen in quite some time at Ohio State. But I think this year's team right now, it's it's a defensive-driven team. I mean, the stats back that up. You look at their numbers right now. Ohio State is currently third in scoring defense, eighth in total defense. They're fourth in yards allowed per play. They're sixth in passing defense. If you look at the offensive numbers, They're only 29th in scoring offense. They're 37th in total offense. They're 17th in passing offense, but they're 98th in rushing offense. So that rushing offense, why did we talk about that first on the show? That's a a glaring number there, but Ohio State's only 98th in rushing offense right now. But, you know, I think the good thing about it is I, I do right now, I go into every game feeling like, this defense is good enough to lead Ohio State to a victory. You know, I think we're so accustomed to Ohio State being this offensive explosion kind of team that can go win shootouts, that that's kind of what we expect. But I think this year's team, it's, it, it's, it's a different team, and this team has to be able to win in different ways. And so far, we've seen that this team can do that. Now, the question of whether that is sustainable for Ohio State to beat its toughest opponents and achieve its biggest goals, that's still a very valid question. And a big reason why is because Penn State and Michigan have elite defenses too. I mentioned that Ohio State is third in scoring defense. Well, guess who's number one and two in that category? Penn State and Michigan. So I think that's now the question is, you, you go back to those Georgia and Michigan games last year. Like, what was the big question of Ohio State? It was, could Ohio State's defense get enough stops for Ohio State to, to outscore the opponent? Now, I think the, the script has been flipped all of a sudden to where the question is, if Ohio State's defense does its job, can Ohio State's offense take advantage? And 
I think that becomes the question now is last year it was kind of like you expected Ohio State to win a game, you know, 45 to 42 or something. Now I kind of look ahead to those Penn State Michigan games and it's like Ohio State might need to win those games 28 to 24. You know, it's 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 now become a matter of you know, you, you can't right now go into a game anymore and expect Ohio State to put up a huge number on the scoreboard offensively because it just hasn't done so with any consistency so far this year. But I do feel right now like you can reliably expect this Ohio State defense to keep its opponent in check because it's proven five games into the year that it can do that time and time again. And Yes, there are still tougher challenges to come, but I also think this is different than last year and the fact that, you know, the last few weeks, you know, have they played an elite offense yet? No, but they've played some good offenses in their last few games to where the tests have gotten steadily tougher. And I think Ohio State has continued to rise to the challenge. No, I agree. Uh, those are all excellent points there, Dan. And and you know, I think this is a this is a group that had some questions entering the season defensively. It's answered almost all of them, and all around, you know, whether it's the run defense or the pass defense, they held Talia Tagovailoa under 200 yards in this game. That's a big number. I mean, when you talk about a guy who's got all the experience he has, he's going to surpass 10,000 career passing yards this year. That's a pretty rarefied air for a collegiate quarterback. You know, obviously his brother plays in the NFL for the Dolphins. You you have to look at this as a really great performance by the defense, I think, and continue to generate those big plays, two fourth down stops, two interceptions, one of which went for a pick six. And it's a defense that I think is really driven by the secondary. For me... You know, you said you're you're confident in saying this is a defensive-driven team, and I agree with you as of, you know, five games in. The defense is driven by the secondary. These This group of safeties and corners, not only are they, I, I feel confident in saying, the best group that Ohio State has had since 2019, but... They have very complementary skill sets to one another in a way that I think is pretty rare. Denzel is your lockdown cover man, right? He can take out the best receiver on the field on a given play. Teams like Notre Dame sometimes just avoid throwing to him because he proved in the first three weeks that he can make constant plays on the ball. Five pass breakups and an interception in those first Three weeks, I believe he had more pass breakups than he did completions allowed. That's incredibly rare stuff at corner. Davison, Igbenosin opposite him is a fantastically physical corner, has a little more length to him, has had his had some ups and downs as the season started, but has continued to get better. And he's a really good run defender for a corner. I think that's something that's underappreciated about him. He's willing to stick his nose into the fan. We're going to talk about a certain free safety that's emerging in a moment that uh, you know I've I was I was pretty high on before the season. Lathan Ransom just really physical at that bandit spot, the thumper you want for a boundary safety, but also 
has some underrated cover skills and showed it with that interception this past week. And then at nickel, the rotation of Sonny Styles and Jordan Hancock, uh, how they play off each other in their skill sets. So um, again, for me, this is, I think, Ohio State's best secondary since 2019. And the difference is they have five on the field at a time as opposed to four that year. And it's allowed them to get behind and drive this defense even more. And the physicality of their safeties is so key because it allows them to also make additional contributions in the running game. And all the safeties are willing to come into the box and make big hits on backs. Yeah, I would, I would agree with all of that. I mean, I think this is absolutely Ohio state's best secondary since 2019. You know, I think, Denzel Burke is the Jeff Okuda of this team as it, and that he's become that dominant cover corner who you can expect to get the job done game in and game out in coverage. You know, I think, you know, Leif and ransom has been what I would thought he would be this year, which is he's not looked like the player who struggled in the last couple games, but has looked like the player who was excellent the rest of a year last year. And I think he's, uh, you know, returned to that form and has been excellent. You know, we we expected Sonny Styles to make an immediate impact, and he has. We expected Davis and Igbenosin to make an immediate impact, and he has. Here's what I didn't expect. What I didn't expect was Josh Proctor becoming the Jordan Fuller of his defense. So that's exactly what he's become, because Josh Proctor, I mean, he was part of that 2019 defense. He was, you know, he was the flash guy back then. He was the guy who, uh, you know, he'd, he'd make a big play, but then he'd also give up a big play, like whiffing on Trevor Lawrence running on a game-changing touchdown run. Now, Josh Proctor has become both. He's still the flash play guy, as evidenced by his 24-yard pick six, Ohio State's only touchdown in the first half against Maryland. If he doesn't make that play, who knows what happens in this game? That was a massive momentum swing in this game and he makes a big play. I mean, he, he made big plays all over the field, but I think the thing that impressed me most about Josh Proctor, like the pick six is great. Like what really catches my eye about Josh Proctor is I, I think it might've been the first play of the second half. Roman Hemby breaks fruit of a third level of the defense in past years. That's the kind of run that would go for a touchdown against the Ohio state defense. This year, Josh Proctor makes a sound tackle. It's like a 15-yard gain, and, and that's that. And Josh Proctor being able to be that quote-unquote eraser, that was more of a Jeff Halfley term back in 2019 that they don't really use now, but it's still an apropos term in my mind for that free safety position. That's what you really need is a guy who you can trust to make that play on the back end when it comes to him. And Josh Proctor has become that guy this year. And so I mean, we were talking a couple weeks ago about biggest surprises on this team. And I know Josh Proctor was one of the guys that he we talked about. And he just continues to solidify himself as a guy that Ohio State can really count on. And, and you know, that that's huge because Josh Proctor, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, we're talking, we've been talking about this guy for five years. I mean, he, I mean, he was a guy who very early on in his college career showed the potential to be an impact player for Ohio State, but it just seems like it never quite all clicked. And this year it has, and he's becoming a legitimate star in the Ohio State secondary. 
I agree. And you know what else I like to see from him was he had more energy, more intensity than any other player on the field Saturday, man. He was every other play. He was getting the crowd pumped. He was waving his arms and then he would back it up. I, there was a very specific um, instance. I remember Ohio State was playing. Uh, they had a goal line stand in the first half to hold Maryland to a field goal. And it was second and goal. Maryland's at like the three yard line. And the crowd's kind of down on things because Ohio State's about to go down two scores. The defense has allowed Maryland to get this far on the drive. And he turns around and he starts, you know, waving his arms to the crowd, pumping them up each section of the stands. And then the very next right before or right after that, he goes and stops the run for no gain. It's like you pump up the crowd, then you go make a big play. He did it a couple times. And the energy and the passion he brought to this game was really exciting to see. I think the distinction you drew between him and Jordan Fuller of the flash is a very important one because not only is I, you know, I think Proctor's a more explosive athlete than Fuller was in terms of being able to come up and get tackles for loss in the run game. Not that Proctor never, or not that Fuller never did that, but Proctor had one and a half tackles for loss in this game. He's shown a lot of he's always been a hard hitter, right? I think that's something we've always known about him, but um, it's that other side of him, the more Jordan Fuller-esque sweeping of things. But the role of his spot in this defense is different from Jordan's in that it allows him to do that a little more. Jordan was the one deep safety in that half lease. There were three corners on the field and one safety. And this one, there's three safeties, usually two that are deep. And it allows Proctor a little more freedom to come up and play in the box and make those plays and also intercept a pass that was on a little five-yard hitch and take it to the house, right? So I think he and his play style have turned out to be super well-aligned with what Knowles is looking for at that adjuster position because of the lessons he's learned in discipline, consistency, bringing that ability to be an eraser. And now I just, I think that's one of the bigger surprises of it for me in terms of Proctor is just how well he's fit at adjuster specifically when we thought he would be abandoned before this year. Speaking of guys who bring a lot of energy to the defense, would you have ever guessed before this year that Tyleek Williams would play 70 snaps in a game? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's a, that's a crazy high number. And not just because, you know, Tyleek's a big dude. Even, you know, a D tackle that's in shape often ain't playing that many snaps. And he had concerns, perhaps, about his conditioning in the past. Larry Johnson also just doesn't play guys that much normally. But I think the fact that he is playing Tyleek that much now speaks to just how big a breakout season it's been for Tyleek. You've talked about it. You've been high on Tyleek all year, and a lot of props to you for that. But, I mean, he's leading all defensive linemen and tackles right now. He's leading the entire team in tackles for loss. So he's been a real motivator, a real generator of disruption in that free technique spot. And they've needed it because of some of the shortcomings, perhaps, they have in personnel at the one tech. Another defensive lineman who played a lot of snaps against Maryland was JT Tuomolo. He played just one fewer snap than Tyleek Williams of 69 snaps. And you could say it was a very nice day for JT Tuomolo as he recorded 
His first one and a half sacks of the year also made two key fourth down run stops. We, we've been talking about wanting to see JT step up and really make some big plays, and he certainly did that against Maryland. Yeah, it's a, it was consistency, right? We, we see JT make big plays. He had perhaps the greatest defensive performance in Ohio State history against Penn State last year, but he didn't have any games that have touched that echelon really afterward. And he's starting to get back on that track. He's starting to find a ramp, you know, uh, as you know, I've talked about ramps for the team on this podcast before. JT's kind of finding a ramp to a little more stardom, a little more what, what the defense really wanted him to be, which is that kind of unblockable game wrecker that Ohio State defensive ends have been in the past. Really strong against the run. On Saturday, made several plays there, but also got his first one and a half sacks of the season, one of which was completely him beating his guy off the line of scrimmage and getting the tackle by low. And the other, you know, Mike Hall kind of caused it, but it's he was also there to help finish off the play, get the half. And kind of how he ended the Notre Dame game with the tackle for loss on Hartman and then the pass breakup that really helped uh, get the ball back to the offense for its game-winning drive down the stretch there. That's how he needs to keep progressing and keep making those kinds of plays as the season goes. And it was good to see him do it consistently throughout a game against Maryland as opposed to just on the last two plays as he did against Notre Dame. Yeah, certainly I think for for JT to be able to uh, have that kind of performance uh, is certainly a, a big thing. For him, you know, just to you start becoming more of that game changer that we really want to see on a consistent basis. You know, when, uh, you know, Jim Knowles has been asked about both JT and Jack Sawyer, he said those guys are doing their jobs. And he said the same thing about Jack on Tuesday, even though we really still haven't seen him make many big plays. And so I, it seems like they're happy with the way those guys are playing. That certainly reflected in, in the amount of playing time uh, that they're seeing. But you know, certainly it adds another dimension to this defense if JT can make those game-changing kind of plays. And certainly you'd, you'd like to see more from more of that out of Jack Sawyer as well. Going elsewhere on the defense, you know, I think if there's one thing that, you know, both of us would probably kind of nitpick on this defense right now, it's the way Sonny Styles is being utilized. Because I think Sonny Styles is, is playing well but I'm still not sure that the role that he's being utilized in is playing to his best strengths. I think when he's being left out to, to cover a slot receiver man-to-man, I don't think that is best utilizing Sonny's skill set. I, you know, Jim Knowles did make the point that you know, Jordan Hancock got beat on one of those plays too. And it only, you know, there were only a couple times that they gave up big plays in that spot. So it's not to say that Sonny is playing poorly in the role that he's being asked to play. I'm just still of the opinion that I feel like there's a better way to use Sonny Styles. In my mind, I, I think subbing him in at that Will linebacker spot and having him play at that position in those passing situations, to me, that would make a difference in, in, in terms of putting the best lineup out there on those, you know, third and 10 situations. Now, it doesn't sound like Jim Knowles is inclined to do that right now. He said 
they've only done quote 80% of what they want to do with Sonny this year. But he also said that they've kind of identified that nickel position, or he's calling it the strike position that he's playing. It's kind of Sonny's role for this year. They don't want to put too much on his plate this year with him being just a sophomore, being a guy who really should just be a freshman if he hadn't reclassified. And so I, I think they're hesitant right now to maybe do more with Sonny than they already are. I, I'll be interested to see if in the future, if that becomes more of a role for Sonny, because I do think he would be a good fit for it. And, you know, I think we saw it. You, you look at that play at the end of the third quarter when he had that great blitz on, on third down, stops a play in the backfield, forces forces Maryland to, to, I don't remember if it was a punt or a field goal, to be honest, but I think it was a punt. But um, when he, you know, you see him make those kind of plays in the box. You think of his big fourth down stop against Notre Dame. I think that is Sonny Styles at his best. I would like to see Sonny be more consistently played in positions where he can make those kind of plays. Whereas I think when you have him out covering slot receivers, I just don't think you're playing to his best. No, I agree. And I think maybe part of it from Knowles' perspective, something he's touched on before is not wanting to give things away, wanting to be able to disguise coverage and things. But honestly, I think you can still do that and play Sonny in a role that's more centric on him, either being in the box or being in zone coverage when he's having to cover downfield. Um, he can still match up man-to-man great on a tight end or even a running back, perhaps, um, depending on the running back. But, you know, put Jordan out there when the team, it's just a personnel thing. Like, put Jordan out there when the team is going three and four wide and you can still play zone with Jordan. So I, I think in terms of disguise, you can do all that just fine. Uh, Sonny just isn't as good in man coverage on a slot receiver as Jordan Hancock is right now. And that's not a knock against Sonny. He does a million other things great, better than Jordan does when you talk about being in the box, being a run defender, being a blitzer, which I was very excited to see, as you alluded to, Dan. I think he is someone you could do a lot of creative things with on a blitz. Uh, he'd be really dangerous, I think, if you had a stunt where you slanted some defensive lineman down, a defensive end down, and he loops around and comes off the edge or starts on the edge and loops inside. There's a lot of different things you can do with him on a blitz. Uh, there's a lot of different things you can do with him that they have done with him in coverage and run defense in the box. In uh, more of that nickel role, that strike role where he's kind of a Sam. But yeah, I, I would like to see the dime package used too. I don't think it would be too much of a change in responsibility for him to swap him out for Steel Chambers in a third long situation in that dime package. You know, uh, that 3 2 6 they've kind of been running as just another linebacker who can defend in space a little better cover a little better i guess at that point it'd almost go to a uh a dollar package with seven defensive backs on the field but well, i think um, you could also i mean to me you could you could also go four two five but with sunny playing linebacker you, know, you put, yeah you put, and get that four man rush I think probably one probably one thing that would maybe hold them back on doing that in a dime package is that well, then you need another guy to play that slot role. May, you know, who would that be right now? Would it be a Cam Martinez who, when he got that opportunity, didn't play very well? You know, 
do they have enough confidence in a Jermaine Matthews or a Jair Brown that they could they could play that role? I don't know if they necessarily have that guy right now. So I'd be interested to see them work a you know a you know a four two five in there. But you've got Sonny playing alongside Tommy at linebacker, and then you've got a four man rush up front. I, I think there's a lot of different things you can do, and I think the good thing about Sonny is he gives you that versatility to do a lot of different things. But at the same time, I understand where Ohio State's coming from, that this is still a young guy who's still learning the game. You don't want to overload his plate with a lot of stuff if you're not certain he can handle all of that yet. No, I uh, I agree. I think that overall, you know, we're very high on Sonny Styles. Just want to see his skill set utilized best, and uh, that might be how to do it. Another interesting note from Tuesday's press conferences, Ryan Day confirmed that they are redshirting Dallin Hayden this year. At least that is the plan. They said he's ready to go if needed, but with three running backs that they feel kind of good about right now with Travion, with Chip, with Mayan, uh, they want to preserve that extra year of eligibility for Dallin Hayden and something we talked about Dan is we feel like that was the plan for him last year but they had so many injuries come through that running back room he was kind of thrust out there maybe before he was ready although he did have some strong performances down the stretch of last season uh, certainly as a plast blocker I don't think the staff felt like he was where he needed to be and uh, he's still some development to get done in the running game too. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is just looking out for Dallin's long-term interests, right? Like, if he's not going to play a lot this year, why burn another year of his eligibility for him to just play a few snaps here and there? And so I think by, you know, not playing even more than one game so far, they're being smart because they're still leaving that window open where if they have injuries, he could play a bigger role in a couple games and he could still be redshirt eligible. You know, I think it's, you know, obvious that when Ryan Day says this, that, you know, if multiple running backs ahead of a depth chart for him were to get hurt, then that plan would probably go up the window and then Dallin would play more. So it's not that it's not that they've like made a firm final decision that Dallin is for sure going to redshirt this year. But I think right now it's the logical decision because he's just not, you know, we've seen it with Evan Pryor too, if there's just not a much work to go around for those guys. With Travion Henderson, Chip Trainum. I mean, even Mayan Williams isn't playing that much right now as the number three running back. And so, you know, I, I think it is logical to preserve Dallin Hayden's redshirt this year unless the situation changes to call for him to play a little more. And, you know, with that being said, like, I, I do think there would have been a case for playing either Dallin Hayden or Evan Pryor a little bit more against Maryland just because. You know, Chip and mine are similar back stylistically in terms of being bigger guys. I do think that maybe putting Down or Evan in there a little bit, you know, maybe could have given him a change of pace that maybe could have sparked that running game a little bit without Travion Henderson. So I do think there's a valid case for that. But I also think that, you know, I, I think Travion is the best running back on the team. I, I think Chip is the second best running back on the team, and I think Mayan's the third best running back on the team, at least based on what we've seen so far this year. So I, I think the depth chart is right. Like I don't think it's like, oh, Dallin Hayden's the best running back on the team, and they're just casting him aside to save his red shirt. I think it's just a matter of because they have so much depth at that position, they don't really need him to play a lot this year. And so it makes more logical sense 
to, to try to redshirt him, then he still has three years of eligibility in which he could potentially play a much bigger role with, you know, Travion Henderson likely going to the NFL after this season. And who knows with Chip and Mayan. Yes, and uh, yeah, he could find himself being the feature back next year if the cards fall, right? Even there's uh, definitely a world where that happens. But either way, like you said, good to preserve his eligibility while you can have him for those extra seasons. He doesn't have the COVID waiver as uh, a lot of other players still do on this team. Um, you know, that's kind of being phased. Those guys are slowly being phased out as the years go, you know, who just have a free extra year of eligibility. He's on the traditional trajectory where if he doesn't redshirt this year, he'd only have two years left. So uh, redshirt him. He'll be a redshirt sophomore next year and still have three years of eligibility. Again, if everything goes according to plan and guys don't get hurt at running back for Ohio State. And not the only second year that uh, or even past that player that we might expect to take a red shirt this season for Ohio State Dan haven't seen a few guys along you know so made that might be in some special teams roles might be in some other places if they weren't red shirting uh, potentially for Ohio State you know who, who, who are some of those names that, that people should uh, keep an eye on for the future yeah I mean the other guy that they seem to be making a conscious decision to try to red shirt this year is Lorenzo Styles Jr. because you look at it he, he's, he was on like every special teams unit in the first game. He was their special teams player of a week. Then he didn't play again until Notre Dame. He was all over their special teams again. And then he didn't play against Maryland. So that would suggest they're, they're at least weighing the possibility of keeping him to that four game limit this year to preserve his two remaining years of eligibility because you know he's not playing at cornerback right now. You, by preserving those two years of eligibility, he could potentially play a bigger role over the next two years. So he's he's the other guy along with Dallin Hayden who it seems like they're making a conscious effort to do that. I mean, two other guys that I would look at right now who didn't redshirt as freshmen last year who seem likely to redshirt this year would be Kai Stokes, who, you know, he came into last year with a lot of hype as a guy who could potentially be an immediate impact player, but he's not played a snap this year. And so it seems likely that he'll be in line for a redshirt. And then Kojo Antwi, uh, at wide receiver, you know, if all the depth they have there, he's only appeared in one game so far of a season. So those are a couple guys. I mean, I, I think it's more a product of just the depth in front of them that more than anything that those guys could be in line to redshirt this year. But it, it does seem likely that, you know, there could be, you know, at least four guys on this team who aren't freshmen who could redshirt this year. In addition to the fact that the majority of the freshman class is going to redshirt considering less than half of them have even gotten in a game so far. Yeah, um, and I think it speaks to the veteran depth that uh, Ohio State has lauded about this team. Uh, they've got a lot of good senior players, uh, and I think that, you know, there's no fresh, there's no underclassmen that I look at and say, this guy should be playing over this other guy. You know, I know there's, there's definitely, again, that's an area where We've seen some people go maybe on Twitter, maybe on our message boards with things, uh, you know, wanting to look at that shiny new toy. But there's I think the staff has made the right decisions with personnel uh, generally across the board this year. Um, and it's certainly pr proven out at free safety with Josh Proctor, which is what Kai Stokes would play if he were contributing, but wasn't even involved in that competition in the end, it turned out so. Maybe still some uh, time on the proverbial grill. Get that meat a little more cooked. 
before he is uh, thrown out there for Ohio State. Um, moving on, Dan, you know, we've uh, a lot of takeaways from that Maryland game, but there's a place, a location that has struck fear into the hearts of Ohio State fans, regardless of the quality of team that makes that location its home. Ohio State travels to West Lafayette, Indiana, this weekend to take on the Boilermakers, or perhaps the Spoilermakers, as some may call them. Uh, thoughts? How concerned should Ohio State be on the road the week before they play Penn State? Well, you know, I think history would suggest that this is a game you cannot overlook. I mean, Ohio State is three and five at Ross Aid Stadium since 2000. And so, uh, you know, and, you know, you can't just look at, oh, well, you know, Purdue's not a very good team this year because, I mean, nobody went into that Purdue game five years ago expecting Purdue to beat Ohio State 49 to 20. Purdue is a free and free team at the time. And so, uh, you know, you look at a lot of those games, Ohio State has lost in West Lafayette. Most of them have been very, you know, unexpected losses for the Buckeyes. So uh, for whatever reason, it, it's been a tough place for uh, the Buckeyes to play. And I think, you know, I, to some degree, I think that's actually a good thing for Ohio State this week, because I think it's very easy to start looking past this game to look ahead to Penn State. But I think that history they have at Purdue will help keep them focused on this week, because you don't have to look very far back to point to an example of if you don't take care of business at Purdue, how that could ruin your season. That I mean, that 2018 team basically had their entire national title hopes derailed by a trip to West Lafayette. As you know, uh, we we've said the, the 49-20 they lost that game. It wasn't even close in the end. That was my first loss actually that I covered on the beat as an Ohio State reporter. I was working for Rivals as an unpaid intern at that time. Uh, how far we've come, but the uh, the only I mean that only holdovers from that game: Josh Proctor, Matt Jones, Xavier Johnson might be looking to right that ship. I'm sure. Just again, it's about that consistency. Ryan Day says it's about us, about getting better every week, competitive excellence, and I think the history of Ohio State traveling to Ross Aid, like you said, feeds into that betterment week to week keeps the team focused on getting better because as we addressed earlier in this podcast there are areas they need to improve um, and if the offensive line can't show a, a tick better against this Purdue front which is I don't think near the level that the Maryland front was at um, when you look at the defensive numbers there this then you know it's it's even even more that dwindling confidence that they're they're going to be able to get the job done when it comes time to play Penn State the week after or Michigan at the end of the season. So another ramp to the Penn State game, another week that Ohio State really needs to keep bettering itself and the history of seasons lost to a trip into the Purdue hostile crowd. Uh, helps keep that focus. Yeah, I mean, it's like we talked about last week. Yes, this is a ramp up to Penn State, but it's but it's not a tune up the same way a Youngstown State or Western Kentucky was. At the end of the day, you go into this game. The number one focus is taking care of business and coming back from Purdue with a win because we've seen Ohio State not be able to do that before. At the same time, like you said, certainly this is another opportunity to work through those issues, and I think. You know, that's going to be the, the number one thing 
that you know is going to be in focus for Ohio State this week is going to be that offensive line and that run game. Can they get something going on the ground? Because you, you look back to that game in 2018 and why they lost that game. The reason why they lost that game five years ago is because they ran for only 76 yards on 25 carries. Dwayne Haskins actually threw for 470 yards in that game, but Ohio State still scored any tw- still scored only 20 points. So that underscores the need to be able to run the ball in order to move the ball efficiently down the field offensively. And, you know, Ohio State could be without uh, one of its top receivers in this game, too, because while Ryan Day said Tuesday that Emeka Abuka uh, injury that he suffered against Maryland is not long term, uh, he he didn't really give a firm answer on whether Abuka would be available to play this week, which makes me think it's probably not particularly likely that Emeka Abuka will play this week. I, I think we would probably both agree that if Emeka Abuka is not fully healthy, he shouldn't play this week because you want to have him healthy for Penn State. Now, counterpoint to that, because we, we didn't talk about this before, but we, we do need to talk about Marvin Harrison Jr.'s performance against Maryland quickly, because this is a guy who sprained his ankle two weeks before at Notre Dame who told reporters last week that that injury was worse than the one he played through last year. And then he proceeded to have his best game of the season, catching eight passes for 163 yards and a touchdown. So Marvin Harrison Jr. uh, proved to us once again how special a player he is with a phenomenal performance on a sprained ankle against Maryland, in which he really didn't seem limited at all. And as a result of that, you would anticipate that he's going to be full go again this week for Purdue, even with Penn State looming, but maybe a more cautious approach coming up with a Mecca Buka in this game. I agree. Uh, you definitely want a Mecca ready to go when you take on Penn State. And uh, I think they can carry the water with Marvin Harrison and Julian Fleming and start to get Carnell Tate some extra important game experience um you know in the in some key moments there uh he's shown that he's ready to play as a freshman and i I think a lot of fans will be curious to see what he can do in in lieu of a a mecca assuming that he's out marvin looked like what he was at the peak of his powers last year in that maryland game i mean he was making plays all over the field he had a lot of nice underneath catches he got some good yards after the catch on moved the chains the second and 33 catch, I thought, was his best pure catch of the day. And also, McCord's best throw of the season so far. When you talk about a second and 33 bomb, that looked like a C.J. Stroud to Marvin Harrison connection, how they used to drop it in on the sideline like that. And Marvin dragged the toes, and C.J. had perfect ball placement. That was perfect ball placement. And I think, like, you know, like I said, it's the best throw I've seen McCord make all year. Really, you can't have a better throw than that one. Um, and after he was late on a deep ball to Marvin that probably goes for a 90-yard touchdown if he throws it on time, uh, to say it's underthrown, I think, is a little, you know, some people would just call that pass underthrown, but it went 60 yards in the air, Dan. Like, you, you can't get much more on it in a game. You know, if you're, if you're throwing without pads on, you, it's hard for anyone, even a five-star prospect, to get at 70. You're in a game with shoulder pads on. That ball ain't traveling further than 60 yards. It was late. I don't know if it was underthrown. He did underthrow a ball to Julian later on uh, that Julian Fleming made a spectacular play on. So there's, it was again, going back to Marvin making plays all over the field this game. And again, I think 
a reliable play when Ohio State needs key yardage in a game is always get him going across the middle. We saw it at the end of that game on a 12-yard touchdown on third down that was called back, and then the next play they run a very similar route concept, and it goes 17 yards for a touchdown. Um, When he breaks over the middle of defenses and McCord is able to time it up, there's not a lot that can be done to defend him with his length, his athleticism, his burst, and what's always been some very precise route running from him. So I think in tandem with McCord's best half overall of the season, when you talk about the second half against Maryland, a lot to like from Marvin Harrison in that game, and especially doing it on an ankle that was not 100%. Yeah, and I think certainly, you know, flipping back to the Purdue game, certainly the continued progression of Kyle McCord is going to be another thing that's going to be in focus this week. You want to see him, you know, start out strong. You look at that game against Maryland. He, in the first quarter of that game, went two for seven for 14 yards. But in the fourth quarter, he went eight for nine, 116 yards and two touchdowns. So the good news is when the game was on the line, they really needed him to step up. He did. But still, I still don't think we've, you know, maybe against Western Kentucky, but I think like overall, we still haven't seen a lot of Kyle McCord where he really, goes out there and looks great for four quarters. So you'd, you'd love to see that happen this week, especially uh, going into a game that uh, you know uh, is going to be very much a spotlight game for Kyle McCord as uh, he, after playing his high school football in Philadelphia, will be playing uh, Penn State next week. You know that's going to be a, an interesting matchup with uh, the uh, Pennsylvania high school product, Kyle McCord, playing for Ohio State against the Ohio high school prospect. Drew Aller playing for for Penn State, so we'll get we'll get to that next week. Uh, but you know, getting getting back to this game, uh, you know, you, you know, you mentioned if Emeka's out, that Xavier Johnson is a guy who probably is in line for a bigger role. We we do our best bet and last call, so I'll, I'll give people a preview. Of my best bet, I'm gonna stay on brand. Xavier Johnson anytime touchdown is gonna be my Ooh. best bet this week because we saw it last year. Whenever. They needed Xavier Johnson to step up and play a bigger role because of injuries. He delivered time and time again. And so I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, assuming that Emeka does get held out. I mean, certainly Emeka is a guy who is always going to make your offense better and and you want to have him out there, especially in those big games. But I am intrigued to see, can Xavier step up the way he did so often last year if he gets called into that position with, a Mecca Buka potentially being out. Speaking of betting, Ohio State is a 19 and a half point favorite for this game. Over under as of Tuesday afternoon was set at 49 and a half points. So that begs the question we always ask Do the Buckeyes cover this week? Considering it's a road game at Purdue, we should probably just start with Do the Buckeyes win this week? <laughs> and what is your score prediction for this week's game, Andy? Yes, the Buckeyes win. If they lose, it's a, it's another game where it's going to be a long season. If they lose this one, you would probably say. Produce two and four. There's nothing they do particularly well. On paper, it should be an easy cover for Ohio State at 19 and a half. I mean, they, they covered that against Maryland last week, and Maryland's a much better team than Purdue, I think. But it's it's West Lafayette. I, as I said, that was the first loss I covered on the beat. Uh, so I do think it's going to be pretty tight. 
to that spread. Um, I think Ohio State will pull away at some point, whether it's in the first half, and then I think Purdue maybe counter punches, maybe does some Purdue things, or in they they have another slow start and have to pull away in the second half. I, I think there's going to be a lull somewhere for Ohio State that doesn't make this margin balloon as big as it could. But Ohio State is just such a better team than Purdue, and they don't have Rondale Moore like they had in that 2018 game. I don't think they're as good. Uh, Hudson Carr is probably comparable at quarterback to what they had with how David Blau played in that game. And uh, the uh, running back they had that year, Knox, I think is better than any running backs on this year's roster. I would probably pick Ohio State to win uh, by a 38-13 to 13 score line where I'll put it at. Yeah, I, I'm going to go no cover this week. Just you, you look at the history of Ohio State and West Lafayette. Uh, you know, that, that that scares me off a little from from betting on Ohio State to cover this week. And so I, I've got Ohio State winning this game 38 to 20. I mean, would I be surprised if Ohio State covers? No. Would I, would I bet against Ohio State covering? No. But I'm, I'm just not going to pick it based on the history we've seen from Ohio State playing at Purdue, you know, there is still a little bit of that trap game element there with, with Penn State coming up next week. And, you know, just realistically, five games into the season, we've only seen one game so far where Ohio State has really gone in and blown the doors off the opponent. And so, you know, I, I think certainly I, I have been inclined to predict bigger blowouts for Ohio State in most games this year than what we've seen. And so, yeah, on paper, I think Ohio State should cover the spread. Ohio State should win big. But a lot of those results in those recent Ohio State games at Purdue have not gone according to the paper. And so I, I, I'm going to say 38-20. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think Ohio State does what it needs to do uh, to win the game. But, you know, maybe we see Purdue make a big defensive play that, that makes things a little bit closer than it should be. You know, maybe we see a couple of defensive lulls, you know, early in the game, like we've seen in some of these games. But I, I think ultimately Ohio State does do what it needs to do to come back from Purdue with a win this time. Yeah, I think that's certainly what we both expect. What you should expect, at least a multi-score win in this game, and uh, Ohio State to take that next step in the progression uh, and look better on the O line, look better in short yarded. I think that's the number one thing going into Penn State. You can win by less than the spread. I think. Um, and still have some positive energy coming out of this game, given it's a win on the road in a place where you've struggled before. If you show progress in those key areas where you've come up short this year. And realistically, this week, it's all about just getting home from West Lafayette with a win. And then I can already predict what we're going to hear Ryan Day say after that game, assuming Ohio State wins and say, we're going to celebrate this one, but we're already preparing for Penn State. So uh, the, the page is going to turn very quickly from this game to preparing for Penn State next week. And we'll, we'll be talking a lot about Ohio State versus Penn State next week for sure. But we'll also talk about everything we saw in Ohio State versus Purdue because we will be in West Lafayette for Saturday's game. Uh, that game will be on Peacock. For the first time ever, Ohio State will play a Peacock exclusive game at noon. And if you don't have Peacock or just choose not to subscribe to Peacock, uh, make sure you're keeping up with 11 Warriors as we will have full coverage leading up to the game, during the game, and after the game. 
and we'll be back next week to break it all down.